As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the show. It's brought to you by The Athletic in association with The Square Ball. Dan Moylan here from The Square Ball with Michael Normanton, also from The Square Ball. And Phil Hay here from The Athletic. The Friday show for you now. Um, Phil has just come straight from Jesse Marsh's press conference, which we will get to in just a minute. A quick reminder that we are twice a week now, by the way. Mondays and Fridays. Fridays where we speak about the press conference. Monday we react to the weekend's game as well. Um, we'll be back on Monday to talk post-Liverpool. You and I, Phil. In the meantime... Can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be good. A nice Saturday night out in Liverpool. It sounds like a lot of fun. Quick reminder that these shows are all free if you want to listen ad free as well you can do via an athletic subscription you get the ad free pods you can read all phil's writing about leeds united plenty of stuff about football sport around the world theathletic.com forward slash leeds pod pound a month for six months theathletic.com forward slash leeds pod here we are then you've um, traveled down the a1 and come to our studio just off gelded road phil and jesse's press conference which i've missed now so i've got no idea what's been said so i'm going on the notes that you've put here hopefully you're not going to stitch me up too badly uh, with any uh, renegade notes. Uh, what what was the general vibe then for anybody who didn't see it? Michael's notes, and um, they look pretty accurate from top to bottom. I was just going to say, actually, um, before we get going, if at any point Dan does the Simpsons meme thing of utter the phrase, utter the phrase, Leeds have one of these results in them every now and again. <laughs> already, I've already done it this, already done have it you, this week. Have yeah. you? Marvellous. I'm not close enough to hit him, so you do it. Yeah. He's never right, is he? Well... No, maybe, I, maybe I, once a season. I was going to say it's the stopped clock theory of it being right, <laughs> right twice a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people say that about me as well. It wasn't a doomcast, the um, press conference today, but there is a definite mixture of the positivity, which I think Marsh has to cling to in the job. You know, you, if he is walking around Thorpe Archer, if he's sitting in press conferences saying, look, I'm basically on my way out here and it's just a matter of if or, or when the, the club decide to do it, then... You know, it's self-perpetuating and that's exactly what, what is going to happen. You find with, with managers, when the pressure comes to bear, that sometimes it does so without any without any more than results to show for it. You have managers who, who go through a, a poor run of form, so the questions start to ask, you know, about on, are you under pressure? Are you getting support from the board? Do you worry about your job? And in those circumstances, they'll tend to be quite resistant to those questions because you almost don't want to set the hair running. You don't want to start the start the narrative and write the headlines of such and such is under pressure, such and such fears for the job. 
I think what's happened on this occasion, and it's quite rare for it to happen at the speed that it has, is that because the crowd have turned in the way that they did, particularly at Leicester, it was a little bit tetchy against Fulham, but I did think that actually it was a bit more apathetic. There's a bit more resignation in the response to the, the second and third Fulham goals. People kind of got up and left more than anything around us in the West Stand. It wasn't really vitriolic. But because it's being said publicly from the stands, because Marsh can hear that, he, he can't really try and dance around the question of whether or not he's in trouble. And he said quite openly today, you know, I, there are people there who want me out. Of course there are. And he can see that, he knows that, and there's very little point in, in trying to pretend otherwise. But at the same time, because the club are sticking with him, because he is staying in the job, because it's Liverpool next, and then after that, three games, including Wolves in the League Cup, he has to try and dig something out of this. And, and if he does think genuinely that he can survive in the job and that this can all turn around, then he has to try and paint that image. So it was very much a mixture of, yes, we are massively under the cosh, and to use his phrase, you know, he, he said he's never lost this much in his career and he's sick of it. But he does feel as if there is still something there that he can get a hold of. It feels a little bit like we've gone back in time today as well with the talk of the stress and the pressure, which was something he spoke about last season. But last season, he was able to say it as someone who'd just come into the club and was trying to fix it. Whereas now, this lot of stress and pressure is his. He created it and it's his job to get out of it. That is the difference. You know, the responsibility for it is 100% his and not just because he happens to be coach you know there was I don't think people gave him much leeway in this respect last season because the games weren't great the performances weren't great and the results were just enough but there was always that defence last season of this isn't my squad I haven't been able to add to it I've inherited the, the problems that were here before me and I'm trying to make the best of it you know don't judge me on this once you get to the other side of a full summer and a full transfer window and once you've made changes in that transfer window and okay not enough quite evidently but you know once you've started to bring in some of the players who you specifically want and, and who fit your style of playing and your system, then you have to answer for it more and more. And that's where I think they are at the moment. And So to some extent, you would say that with the exception of the last game of the season at Brentford, which was just massive, massive stakes, this is probably as intense, I think, as the, the strain has ever been because nobody was really talking about Marsh's job last season. I know that there was the debate about, do you want this guy to stay in the position if Leeds go down? But the club's attitude and the message from them was always that that would happen, you know, that he would he would keep hold of his job. He wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't pin relegation to him if that was that was what occurred. This time round, he can see that his back's against the wall and that continually losing games as they have been, you know, if this extends for any longer, it's going to be very hard for him to, to hold on to it much longer. And, uh, you know, he, he clearly has the support of the board. There's no question of that at all at this stage. But even he is admitting that you know there will become there will come a point where it's really really difficult for the board to continue saying yes no this is this is fine. When he came into the job, inherited a load of injury problems as well. Thankfully, they've all all cleared up now. Got a more or less fully fit squad. <laughs> oh, it, Michael, it it, it it kind of always happens at these times, doesn't it? But you sit down thinking, well, there can't be you know there can't be that much going on with the squad, and things must be okay. There'll be some tactical decisions to make certainly. And then he says to us. There are doubts over Gelhart. Forshaw's still missing. Dallas is still missing. Those two are definitely out. And Helder um, had his appendix removed. Is still recovering too. Although I think the likelihood of Helder playing is probably pretty slim, even if he if he was fully fit. But then he says, "Just you know, Gelhart is a doubt. Rodrigo is a doubt. Sinistera is a doubt. Cooper is a doubt. Tyler Adams is a doubt. I mean, on any given weekend, that would be a massive chunk." out of your squad they're still to make a decision on them they're still to decide in the next 48 hours whether any of them will be involved but even if half of them are missing you know that is a, a fair chunk out of 
you kind of frontline players who you'd want to be, be picking from, especially going to somewhere like Anfield. And if they're all missing, I mean, you really are, you know, half cocked for this game. I mean, there was talk of a psychologist, wasn't there? I think we might need a priest at this stage. Just do whatever you need to do to get the, the voodoo off this club. Get um, get um, Chilino's priest back to yes. bless the pitch. Monsignor, again. what was his name? Monsignor, um, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, Philip something. Um, yeah, no, the, it escapes you now. I can't remember. I did um, I did message him once, actually. I was going to do a piece The priest? It. Yeah, I was going to ask him if he'd speak about it, but he never never got back to me. That maybe might have been quite interesting to find out what on earth <laughs> Again, went on about that. Per- perfect athletic long read. That it, one. it definitely is, yeah. And and what um, he grew up in a small town. What <laughs> what he thought when um, when his phone rang and it was Chilino on the other end saying the form's dreadful and I need you to sort it. To sort it what out. do I need to do to make Philip this man Ma- go away? Philip Monier or something uh, like that. Was I don't know how you pronounce it. M O G E R the surname. Mo- yeah, Mojer. Mon- 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 oh, Monier. Mon- I, I always always called him. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. He's not going to contradict us. This talk, Phil, of, of a psychologist. Yes. Um, was there an implication today of the players not? being psychologically up to this task it sounds and it feels a little bit like bailing water clubs do use psychologists it's not unusual these days and players use them individually as well there are some players at Leeds or have been over the years who've employed a psychologist on their own behalf because it it can be an advantage to do so and it can help you I think at this stage it does give you the impression and certainly paints the picture of a club who are trying what they can and looking for for any solution that might be out there to turn this form on its head. Yeah, he was asked about confidence today, Marsh, and he did say, I cannot possibly pretend that the confidence is at peak level or the confidence isn't being affected by all of this. I think the I think the point he's trying to make and, and certainly the message he's, he's trying to portray is that it isn't mutiny inside the training ground and inside the squad. He, he said there might be tweaks and changes to his staffing, to his backroom staff. It certainly seems as if there are going to be changes to the World Cup plan. Uh, the idea was initially to have two weeks off after the Tottenham game in a couple of weeks' time and then at some point to head to the States for at least one friendly, go to California onto the, the 49ers patch for at least one friendly, probably two. I think it is highly unlikely that they will have two weeks off now. I think that the holiday that they're planning or the break that they're planning will be reduced because it doesn't look great for one thing, but I think you know there's so much to work on that you, you've got to make as much of the, t- uh, the time as you can. And Marsh was speaking as well about, you know, changes to where we play, where we train, what we do. Um, so it will be very interesting to see if the, the planned American tour survives this. Um, it might well be that there is a, there is a rethink. But the, the, there's almost a feeling of chuck everything at the wall here and see what sticks. You're not going to have two weeks off anymore, Jesse. It's going to be a bit longer than that once we get <laughs> I, to the World Cup break. I, I suppose if you're being fair, though, you would, you would talk about going back to basics, wouldn't you? And saying, if we are in trouble, which, which we are, is the right thing to do to have two weeks off immediately after the Tottenham game, given how little Leeds have played, given how short the season has been so far, given that it's you know a six-week break coming up in the middle of it, is the right thing to do for everybody to disappear? No, it probably isn't. I mean, I it, feel like it. What about you? Well, yeah, abso- absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not you that's going to get torn up by Erling Haaland on the other side of the um, international break. You only have to sit and, I mean, uh, the World Cup break, you only have to sit and watch. It. I will in a roundabout way, Phil. Yes, yeah. No, emotionally, it will yeah. um, It will be there. So likewise, is the tour to the States, because obviously if you're going to the, the 49ers backyard, you know, there's a kind of commercial aspect to it, or, or at least a kind of corporate aspect to it. Is that the right thing to do at this stage? Or do you really, really need to knuckle down and think most about which games serve you best, which locations serve you best, which training sessions, training schedule serves you best? It's probably not stretching it too far to say that this break could well be the difference between 
a season which Leeds managed to salvage and a season that they don't. I mean, they're probably as as pleased as anybody that they've got this gap in the season because they need it. Yeah. If they we do. go if we go into the break with without at least three points, we're going down, aren't we? Probably. I think the worry in that's in those circumstances would be that if they don't pick up any points between now and the World Cup break, then they are already a couple of points adrift at the bottom of the league and that gap could clearly stretch. And it means that when you return on the other side of the World Cup and you get going again, before anything else, you're trying to get back in touch with the pack above you. You're trying to regain touch with them. So the pressure's on straight away. The pressure's going to be on anyway. I'm going to say 12 of our 27 fixtures are against the so-called money bags, top six, whatever we're calling them these days. Yeah, they haven't played a huge number of the, the sides that are at the top of the division. Great. But that's about to start. You know, that is coming and that, but you know, Phil, Leeds have always got one of those results in them. They have. <laughs> Way! They, they certainly have. They certainly have. Um, as Forrest did last weekend, you know, you'd, you'd never say never. But that, you know, that that is coming now. And, and obviously two of those games are after the World Cup, um, Manchester City and, and Newcastle. But two of them beforehand, Liverpool and Spurs. And if they are still wobbling going into the break, then on the back of it, you know, City at Elland Road is a is a really, really difficult start to get going with again. Just going back to this, these staff changes, does beg the question of of what they're identifying as the problem there in the background, doesn't it? Is it does it feel like they're trying everything but changing the one member of staff who will ultimately pay for this with his job? Because that's the inevitable end to this, isn't it? If it doesn't turn around, it's, it's, it's possibly a good way of putting it that that they they are trying the damnedest to stand by him and not to to sack him. I think they probably had all the reason they needed to do that on the basis of the crowd's reaction. You know, it makes it very easy to say, look, you know, the, the relationship there's broken down, and that's going to you know, that is going to leave underlying friction over the, the weeks ahead, which makes it very, very difficult for the team to play in those circumstances. But they are trying to press ahead with this and they are trying to make it happen and they are sticking to this idea that, that Marsh is right for them and, and Marsh will work. I mean, one of the things that's been quite, that I've noticed this week is that on this side of the water, and I think in the Leeds fan base, there seem to be overwhelming number of people who are saying, look, it feels like time for a change. You know, it feels like this is not going to work. This is the wrong choice. It's not going to happen. I've had quite a few analytical people in touch with me, some of them from the stage, but some of them not, who've said, and, and Marsh got into this earlier in the press conference, who said, look, if you go through the data, um, so if you look at expected goals, expected goals against, and just bear with me here, things like that. People get angry at this, you know, now. They do, I know they do. I know they do. And to be honest, I'm, I'm not sold on this argument at all. I mean, if you've read my pieces, you know where, where I stand on this with regards to Marsh. The Soccer Power Index, for instance, is used, um, SPI is used to kind of gauge where a club should be based on the stats. And, you know, Marsh today was saying, talking about XG and chances missed. And I think if you're being fair to him, you have to say that he's been unlucky in certain moments that big chances haven't gone in and big chances would have made a difference to results. I, I think that's definitely true. So there is a, a, a kind of train of thought in analytical circles that the data at the moment is suggesting that Leeds will be okay and that they're outperforming quite a few other sides at the bottom of the table when it comes to those specific metrics. Where they're not outperforming teams is on the basis of points gathered. And that is a problem. I also think once you get beyond the data and beyond the stats, whatever they show, you have to, because of what's going on and what has been happening inside the grounds, you have to factor in emotion and you have to factor in I guess the intangibles, you know, the, the pressure that comes of going out onto the pitch, knowing that the crowd around you are sceptical, are, you know, resistant to you, 
some of whom have completely given up on you, some of whom will still, still support you. There will be people out there who, like Marsh, who think Marsh is right. It might be that, that Marsh proves them to be correct. But it feels to me like a pretty big leap of faith at the moment to be saying the data looks good, let's stick with it. I think you'd be more inclined to do that under Bielsa because of Bielsa's track record. I think in the circumstances at the moment, it it doesn't feel like it's working. That aspect of today did concern me a bit, I have to say, because he, he spoke a lot about things going against us and the Sinistera chance against Brighton, Bamford missing his penalty. He spoke about things he's, like that. He's not wrong, is he? No. It, it, not entirely. But then he also spoke mainly about the mentality and the attitude of players and stuff. And he didn't seem to talk at all about some of the quite obvious tactical failings. And I think some of those do need to be acknowledged at the same time because teams do score the same type of goals against us all the time. And we equally, we struggle to break teams down by doing the same thing all the time. I don't think there's any game before Fulham where I've sat and noticed so much the real battle to connect defence to midfield, midfield to attack, to flow through the lines from front to back and create chances. And again, somebody said to me on Twitter, well, that's not what this team are built for. You know, if you look at the players on the side, that's not, you know, Tyler Adams, for example, is not that sort of midfielder. But I don't think you can be so, um, I don't think you can be so defined in your style that you just cannot do that. You know, that that, that is a that is almost, not impossible, but that it's a massive challenge to play like that. Because if your tactical approach isn't working, what's the alternative? You know, what, what do you fall back on? How do you change? How, if, if you're not a side who can be patient and possession-based because that is not what you do, Fine if it works. If it doesn't, then then what? You know what? What is the answer? And I also think you know this issue at, on, in the fullback areas, which you know was exposed really badly by Leicester with with Furpo out there, and Fulham had quite a bit of joy in the wide areas. Also, you know that is a definite weakness. That's a weakness we spoke about through preseason. You know we watched the preseason friendlies and kept saying they do seem to be very patchy out wide defensively, and they are very vulnerable to counter attacks. And if there's one team who are going to cause you trouble in that respect is Liverpool looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard it right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask me Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. History shows us then, Phil, that even when Leeds United do have backs to the wall and everything, the whole world, the football league is against us, we can pull something out of the bag. That was a good link. Thanks. Oh, yeah, Thank lovely. You. lovely. Uh, I'm talking about 2007 here, the start to the season, because... Uh, we were delving into the history books to talk about something that's not necessarily the here and now because it's pretty hard going at the minute, isn't it? And the 2007-8 season, the first one in League One, it is the anniversary, as we record today, of the victory against Millwall at home, 4-2, Prutton, Beckford and Johnny Douglas got to over 30,000 inside Ellen Road when we were in, in League One off the back of a sensational run that kicked off the League One campaign, the minus 15 campaign. And it was 11 games out of 13 that we won 
the sort of run that we could probably do with going on now. Yeah, we'd, it would be ideal. I, I was thinking about this season a bit because we were talking about press conferences in one of the recent podcasts and we got into that one where Wise was sort of metaphorically threatening to kill me before the start of, of this season. And, and I it, reckon you could take him, Phil, now. Do you think so? Will you kickboxing? Don't just don't fall asleep if it's Dennis Wise. He's got form for that. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen him recently, so I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know what. I don't know what sort of um, what sort of shape he's in. But he struck me as um, struck me as a sort of man who would be ripped for the rest of his life. He used to come in at about six in the morning and just run and run and run around the training ground. He was a bit of a fitness fanatic. Um, he was also uh, a bit of a loose cannon or at least he was you know somewhat volatile to deal with in press conferences but it got me thinking about that that season because it was kind of from that press conference was done on the day where the 15 point deduction was confirmed there'd been all the the process and votes and and appeals and arguments and and obviously in the end it it then went to tribunal and was um, judged finally um, on the very very last day of the season but to all intents and purposes and as it turned out Leeds were starting with a minus 15 point deduction and it was the most extraordinary period of form. You, you said it there, 11 wins from 13 games, two draws um, in the other two games and in order to stop the winning run at one point, it required Gillingham to score in about the third minute of injury time away at, at, um, at Priestfield in a game that both Beckford and Candle were sent off in. Um, it, was just a, it was just phenomenal. I, I remember, strangely, because there was a point with Wise where you kind of felt as if he was probably as doomed as many people think Marsh might be. If we're talking about discord between a manager and a crowd, I don't think I've ever seen it more heated and less cordial than it was between him and the crowd at the point where Leeds were relegated. And the reason that he was able to stick around, I mean, it was his decision to stick around. It wasn't as if... Was it anything to do with the owner and the chairman it, it, being the godfather it, of his children? It might just have been. I don't think there is another chairman on earth who in those circumstances would have said, yeah, absolutely, what we need going into next season, you know, they didn't know at that point there'd be a minus 15 point deduction, but what we need is absolutely this guy that, that the crowd want to lynch. But why is quite an interesting character in his own way? And I know he wasn't popular and, and whatever else. I mean, that's, da- that's he, damning him with faint he, praise. Yes. <laughs> He's yeah. quite an interesting character. He, he, he sort of genuinely is because of how unbelievably thick-skinned he was. And I always thought of him in comparison to Bates as a chip off the old block. You know, there was virtually nothing that either of them weren't prepared to to wade through if they had to. And it was a wild summer. It was a ridiculous summer in which a lot of players went and a lot of players asked to go because they could see the way the tide was flowing. Um, there were a lot of players who Leeds simply couldn't afford to keep. You know, Robbie Blake and David Healy and, and others um, had to leave. And there was a, a transfer embargo for a long time. So putting a squad together in that summer was not impossible, but it was very, very difficult. And there were a hell of a lot of players like David Prutton, for example, who were there for pre-season, all the friendlies and everything else, who were basically on trial. You know, um, they, they had contracts agreed and everything else, but there was no way of actually ratifying them until the point where Leeds were given permission to, to sign players again. And that was because the minus 15 ran right up to the start of the season, didn't it? It did, 48 hours before. So the player who people might remember signed on the day that the deduction was confirmed was Andrew Hughes, who came from Norwich. And Wise had to phone him and say, listen, we are going to start on minus 15 points. You know, I, I can't pretend, I can't get you to sign and then say to you, oh, and by the way, this might be a slightly difficult season because uh, we've just had this punishment um, announced. Uh, but Hughes just said to him, well, whatever, really, and signed anyway. And that was the attitude of the entire squad 
towards it. Everybody kind of felt that it might be all right, even though you looked at it and thought, even if you thought the squad was half decent or the squad had a bit of potential, you knew that there was also every bit as much potential for the crowd and wise to fall out again, for the, the atmosphere to just sour and deteriorate as badly as it had in the previous season. But he was dead set wise on doing what he wanted to do. I was looking back through an interview I did with Jermaine Beckford because Beckford's a really popular character at Leeds now and, and has the reputation as a really, really prolific goal scorer. But in that summer, he more had the reputation of somebody who people didn't particularly want to rely on, people didn't know enough about. He had a really good spell alone at Scunthorpe, um, but prior to that, he'd been largely invisible at Leeds. And Wise's decision was that the season ahead, 07-08 in League One, he was going to go with a front two of Beckford and Candle. Um, two players, I think particularly Candle, who people would quite happily have seen gone. You know, I think if they'd said, oh, we saw Candle, nobody would have batted an eyelid. Really. I think the fairest thing to say about him was he was a limited player. He was a limited player. But according to Beckford, Wise said to him, I'm going to go with you two right from the start. I don't care what anyone says. I know it'll piss people off and upset the fans. I get that. But I'm the boss and I can do whatever the fuck I want. That's it. Those are Beckford's words. We're, that, we're getting the explicit tags on this show more and more often now, Phil, due to your do you, potty do mouth. Do you ever take them off? No, no. No, there you go. Save you, save you a job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what he did. And Beckford said, you know, hearing that made me feel 10 feet tall because there were a lot of people who were very, very sceptical about Beckford. But his manager was saying to him, you're 100% going to play. And then what happened was that in that spell of 13 games without defeat at the start of the season... Beckford scored seven times. Candle scored six times. Leeds just couldn't stop winning. And they started serving up late winners as well. They had the, the one at Tranmere, which, you know, Candle's header. I was there right for that. at the end. Which, that was absolutely magic, was that? Because we, we were terrible in that first half. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you sat in that first half thinking, this is exactly how it's going to go. Well, I was going to say, is- I, I remember thinking, good God, it's a long way back from here. Yeah. We, we are playing Tranmere. We're in League One with this. It was almost like a Dirty Dozen style thrown together motley crew of yeah. as- assembling the plane in midair almost, like you say, with, with the lightness of and, the uh, of the signings. And, and we were absolutely and I, shocking. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, but the, the Football League did discuss the possibility of just relegating Leeds to League Two as the punishment. You know, Rather than deducting 15 points and letting them start League One with the, a massive handicap, um, it was discussed the possibility that we'll relegate them again. And in that first half, there was part of you thinking, well, that's pretty much what's going to happen. Anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. is going to serve the same purpose, this deduction, because it's too much. And that candle header was pretty much everything, wasn't it? I mean, it just was the entire, that, that was the I, season turning on. I just, just want to say, I've looked at that video a number of times. I think there's only one camera angle I've ever seen. I'm not sure he even heads that. I think it just, it bounces off him, off it, some body part, even maybe his, his arse, I'm not sure. It goes in, doesn't yeah. it? It goes in. And then there was the, the late winner from Beckford away at Forest. Um, a couple of weeks later, um, Leeds um, battered Southend in between, or at least beat them heavily. But Forest were highly fancied. Forest, in the end, um, were, were one of the better sides in League One that year. And Beckford scores late on. I remember watching Wise walking out of the city ground after we did our media stuff and thinking, this guy might just save them. And I don't know how this has happened. And I don't know how this has all fallen into place. But suddenly he's, he's got something going here. And I mean, it's not even just the the wins so much that, that jump out. It's the, the run of games where they did not concede any goals. You know, um, I think it was two goals conceded in nine games, which led to this great quote from Proton. And this is a genuine quote. I'm sure it was, uh, give me his Luton or something like that. He said, the gaffer loves clean sheets and so does his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and you were still thinking, well, you said it. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. 
That'd be nice for, for, um, for Monday's back page. But they just they just had it all going for them. And on the, so it was 15 years ago today that they beat Millwall. This was the end of that, the last game in that 13-match run without defeat. And, and the following weekend, they were away to Carlisle. Went, to, really, that, went really, to that one as well. Yeah, yeah, really good side, actually, Carlisle. Um, I think John Ward was manager at the time and got a, got a really good team together there, really talented. Lost up there. But the points haul at that point was absolutely ridiculous. They were on they were on 20 points but in real terms they had 35 and Carlisle were top with with 24 at the time <laughs> and you they would I mean they would absolutely have caned probably the title and automatic promotion did we finish on 76 points so it would have been 91 without the deduction yeah I think I'm right in saying I should have looked at the final table they they would either have taken second place just or would have fallen narrowly short um, Swansea went up and I think Forrest went up as well and they both finished in the region of, of 90 points um, 90-91 points Leeds were right there and I think bear in mind as well that Leeds had the Leeds had that psychological stress of when it came to a, a stage of the season where the form started to dip I think that's when it starts to get into your head that actually we're on 20 points but we should be on 35 yeah. and you know actually we're sixth in the table but we could be top by a country mile but it was it was an incredible period. And we did the, it, uh, the classic, a very unique period, that. It was, wasn't it? We did the classic Leeds choke at the end of the season, which is all good fun. So um, when Victor Orta was in, um, when, he, when you were off, Phil, and Orta came in here bemoaning the fact that Leeds fans were so negative, that's a reason why. <laughs> like, we went to Wembley, didn't we? And it, just, it was awful. But uh, I was going to say, like, back at the start of that season, and you, you'll back me up on this, Michael, I think, that what Bates did well, and I would never usually find myself saying those words, from his point of view, and the club... Shed a load of debt? Um, that had happened... Over the summer, yes, correct. Find some uh, some very generous creditors who, who desperately wanted him to take over. That's also correct, according <laughs> to the facts, Michael. Yep, I, I was thinking... Um, so it's strictly factually accurate, yeah, that. Correct, yeah. yeah. Um, Keep it that way with Bates. Exactly, uh, for now. And I was going to say that we um, we found a common enemy in the Football League, didn't we? Like, remember what Mawini, when he got booed so much at, at Wembley for the, for the playoff final, is that Bates managed to kind of... Because like you say, it was awful going down, wasn't it? He managed to take the attention away from himself... Uh, and Dennis Wise and direct it to an external third party which is what Leeds really needed that season it, it, it served a real purpose in terms of just giving us that, that galvanising feeling it was one of those classic situations where in the end everybody rallies behind the club even though it wasn't very difficult to make the argument that Leeds had walked into this and, and had brought a huge amount of it on themselves the, the size of the deduction was completely unprecedented and it all went back to the, the CVA that Leeds were supposed to have in place for for a club who were insolvent and went into administration, it was almost a case of aspects of the rules which had never been tested. You know, for the first time, these questions were being asked and nobody really knew the answers. And Are you suggesting was, the football authorities sometimes make it up on the hoof? Every, every now and again. And there was naturally the question of, is self-interest driving the fact that loads of other clubs would like to see Leeds deducted 15 points? However, it was Leeds who had got into a huge amount of debt. It was Leeds who'd come out of um, administration without a CVA, they had the issue of the Inland Revenue or HMRC challenging uh, the buyout the Bates tried to do because they were going to lose a huge amount of money. There were other people who would have bought the club, but as Michael says, the biggest creditors were backing the Bates takeover. It's, and a, shame, saying, it's uh, a shame we never got to find out who those guys were. No, it was. Mm-hmm. It, it, was it, yeah, it, would, Charlotte, it would, have been, would have been great. Um, but they said, we will back the Bates takeover. Nobody else is anybody else has to pay us in full. And you were talking Aster and Crato, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, Aster Investment Holdings, um, Crato Limited. Gotcha um, Radio Road a bit as well, weren't 18 they? Eighteen million quid, I think. Um, 
so the effect, I think, of the results was that rather than people swaying towards the idea of actually the club are to blame for this and, you know, it's all very well throwing mud at the Football League and everything else, but we're in this predicament because of, you know, what's happened with the club and, and the finances and everything else. The results, as Wise used to say, time and time again, galvanised everybody and everybody started to think this will be absolutely incredible if we overcome this and, and get promoted irrespective of it. And it, it would have been. I think I'm right in saying that um, Eddie Howe's first season at Bournemouth, did they not have a 17-point deduction or something like that? And Bournemouth's battle was to stay up. You know, that was that was what they were looking for. Leeds, very quickly in that season, were starting to talk about promotion, even though they'd, they'd started with that huge handicap. And it just seemed to... It just seemed to flow and flow and flow with very rare exceptions, like the Gillingham away game. And my overriding image of that is why he's getting... well. Two things. Referee Danny McDermott getting pelted with objects as he came off at half-time um, and full-time because if you've ever been to Gillingham, you'll know that the tunnel is in the corner of the pitch. So you have to walk past that big open-ended um, away end. which it, was scaffolding, is the yeah, away end. Yeah, which was packed, like packed with Leeds fans. So he, he got pelted with objects. But Wise had been sent off towards the end of that game and he was up in the press box and he was screaming down the phone at Poye who was trying to organise Leeds with nine players as they were doing their best to see out injury time. And in the end, he dropped his Blackberry and it just shattered on the ground. It smashed into bits. And he just sat down. He just sat down and stopped saying anything. And you could see that even he was thinking, oh dear, we're, we're going to get it here. And sure enough, uh, Gillingham headed in in injury time. I think the thing that always stuck in the craw with me about that season was that um, the football, because I was doing a bit of stuff with the Supporters Trust at that time. I never actually stood for election, so like stood down at the end of the uh, the period helping out. But we got invited over to um, Football League headquarters. Over, it was in uh, Preston at that time. And they had been so rattled by the response to this and, and, and Bates basically making them the common enemy that they invited the sports trust over to try and explain what had actually happened in the insolvency. Um, and that was a bit of an eye-opener because what they saw, uh, told us in that room that day was that they gave Leeds 15 points, expecting them to appeal it. And if they had appealed it, it would have probably been reduced to 10 points. Yeah, and when the tribunal came to rule on it at the very end of the season, they were absolutely emphatic and, and unequivocal in saying, you know, the Football League were entitled to do this and, and Leeds don't really have a, a leg to stand on or certainly do not win win the case. And I mean, but I think because they because they lost the playoff final, because it was such a flat day, such a wet day that rather than, you know, the, the big finish we were all looking for, it kind of changed the, the reflection on, on that season. But it was almost like a throwback to old times or it feels that way when I look back now you know loads of players on trial brought in at, at the last minute I remember they won down at Bristol Rovers one 4 nil down there I'm pretty sure that was in in that run and it was just part of the you know they, they were sort of cantering along and able to turn in results was, like was, that no problem it was 3-0 nil, Phil Beckford twice with Candor scoring another that was the 14th of September ah my mistake Well, close yeah, enough yeah. yeah one at a canter you know no, no problem at all and I I went to the bus afterwards to interview somebody and Casper Ankergren, the goalkeeper, was there just having a smoke. We just stood outside the um, the dressing room just having a cigarette, chatting on to somebody else. Um, and it was, it, it was you know, it was like a, a different time. The kind of scenario which I think these days when, when now that Leeds are Premier League club again and, and everything has changed so much, you just could never see them going back to, you could never imagine that type of, um, that type of environment or that sort of season developing for a second time. But um, it was... I always, I always thought it was quite a fascinating period to to live through and to cover because um, I've never seen anything like it. 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey, have you seen the um, the video footage today, Phil, of Andrea Radrazzani knocking rounds outside um, Inter's offices? Inter Milan, that is. Yeah, some of the earlier said to me on Twitter, what's he doing in Milan? And... Um... They made me think of that bit in the usual suspects, but he says, I can put you in Queens on the night of the murder. The guy goes, well, I live in Queens. <laughs> well um, and likewise, Radrazani has a, a boat hole in um, in Milan. He does show up from time to time. It's just not the first time he's been seen um, going to Inter. I, I honestly have not had time to to check on that, um, but whether like previous visits there have not been anything dramatic um, from a Legion United point of view. So we'll see with that one. Just Googling into Milan left-backs. Because <laughs> they've been... Um... They've been speaking about like refinancing and stuff like that, haven't they? So you wonder if it's maybe a side business interest or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, and there was a bit of talk about TV rates as well, um, which is never never far from from the agenda. Yeah, but please come back with a good player. Yes, striker, <laughs> please. Yeah, striker and left back, just to uh, to beat that particular drum again. Um, Strikers wise, are we going to have to pay out a load of money for Jean Kevin Augustin? Well, according to Build, we might be getting a verdict from Cass on this finally um, in the next month or so it's been it's been a long drag this um, I email Cass from time to time and uh, basically say you know where is this when is this getting sorted out when are we going to get a verdict um, they keep emailing back saying um, nothing yet no no news Build seem to have had the, the nod from Leipzig that uh, it's, it should come at some point in November Leipzig as to be quite honest, they have been all the way through the process, seem to be making very optimistic noises about them winning the case. Whether they do win the case um, remains to be seen. Whether that means that they get awarded the entire amount that they're claiming also remains to be seen. I, I don't think we can necessarily assume that it will just be you know, automatically the £80 million plus that, that they think they're owed or probably are owed, if, if truth be told. I don't know if it will be that entire amount and nobody will until they they announce this. But um, I mean, this this has to this has to come to a head. It's like 2000, 2020 that that bit, he signed. We could be handing over a nice Christmas gift for them. Maybe. Well, as always with these things, it tends to be you tend to do it in staggered payments and and so on. Um, so but I we've, we've I, missed a couple, though, haven't we? That's the thing. The, so how how this will shape up is really hard to know because. The reason that those um, instalments have been missed is because it's obviously been in dispute. So it's been in the hands of FIFA and then it's gone from FIFA who ruled in Leipzig's favour um, to Cass who are still to rule officially on this and decide this will be binding, this decision. I did ask Cass whether there was um, any means of appeal beyond this and they said that in very, very rare cases you can take it to another authority in Switzerland. Oh, really? But, uh, yeah, but the way they replied made me think that this is not one of those cases that this will be, you know, this will be absolute and binding. We, we should explain that Cass is the court for arbitration for sport, which is yes. when there are disputes within the sporting world, 
you appeal to like the governing bodies like yes. the FA, FIFA, whoever it may be. It's like then, a ladder yeah. um, where you climb through stages. So as I say, Leipzig took the complaint to FIFA. FIFA ruled in their favour. Leeds weren't happy with that decision, wanted to contest it. So it goes to Cass, um, who are considered by most people to be the, the top um, level authority. Um, as I say, there are circumstances in which Cass cases can be appealed further, but I did not get the vibe that this is one of those. I think you, this you just almost as well. as well just want it to go away. It's well, like we were, saying, uh, we were saying about me and Michael, like with with our views on VAR. You know, when stuff's getting measured and they're getting the lines out and drawing yeah. planes through people's kneecaps and all. It's like, just give them it. I don't care anymore. Even if it's against, you just stop it and go away. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's not in Leeds' interest to be paying out a huge amount of cash for him. But January will be three years since he signed. We need to strike him, uh, um, Phil. So, and he knows the Red Bull system. Is this the Hollywood comeback of all he know, Hollywood he comebacks? Knows, he knows the club to an extent in as term, well. In terms of what happens next on this, does the player now have a claim to pursue? If if Cass ruled that, yes, we should have signed him, he is presumably not being paid anything like as much as Leeds United should have been paying him in his time at Nantes and now he's at Baal, isn't he? So does he? can he now come back and say, oh, Leeds United owe me 19 million quid? The balance, my, yeah, the balance of his contract. From my four-year contract. It's a fair assumption um, that he wouldn't have been earning as much in France as he would have been in the Premier League with Leeds. I mean, it was, to best of my knowledge, something like 93,000 euros a week he was on at Leipzig. So, you know, it feels big, like a lot of money, that. Big money, big mm. money. Yeah, no, absolutely. Interestingly, nobody's ever spoken about that. That hasn't really been part of the discussion so far because the fight has been over who should have borne the cost of Augustine in that summer after Leeds were, were promoted. He has since, like you say, had a, a couple of moves. So it's not as if he's been out of the game. And, and part of the reason why he was allowed to make a free transfer to France in the first place while this was all going on was because if he was forced to wait until the end of um, the process, he would still be waiting now. You know, he would have lost two or three years of his career. And I, I get that those two or three years of his career have not gone particularly well, but he has had medical issues and, and so on. So that I guess that is something that hopefully um, Cass will clarify as and when they, they put the reward out. But the cliche goes that, you know, if you go into a restaurant and you've forgotten your wallet or means of payment or whatever, you end up washing up until you've paid off your debt, don't you? Could we send Victor Orta to wash up for RB Leipzig to the value of £18 million? Well, somebody from The Athletic, Tom Warvel, who's one of our data writers, went to went to Leipzig um, to join their data department. He works for the club now. So maybe I'll ask Thomas to pull some strings um, or maybe I'll say to Leipzig, having stolen one of our best writers, perhaps they could go easy on the club. I'm trying to write about a little bit of quid pro, uh, quid pro quo. Um, Victor came up actually in the press conference, then he just to return to that um, a little bit earlier on, because you know, understandably, there's been criticism of Orta because you know Marsh is is Orta's man. Well, I I did a piece on Wednesday, which was saying how you know how have Leeds gone from the, the sort of really high watermark they had in 2021 at the end of the 2021 season when. I don't know, people can test this now. I, I was saying they were the envy of a lot of other teams and a lot of other supporters. And I had a few people saying to me, nobody ever envied what Leeds had, but I think they genuinely did. You know, I think there was something about how real and romantic and cultural it had all become here that people at clubs who didn't have any of that were kind of thinking that would be that would be nice. And kind of that thing of had it, lost it. And Leeds suddenly feel a million miles away from from all that. And I don't think in any way you can, I don't think you can define this as Jesse Marsh's fault. You know, he's clearly part of the, the plan and he's clearly involved in his head coach and he has to take the, the blame for performances and, and poor results when, when they come or some of them. But if you're looking at the bigger picture, you cannot categorise this purely or, or frame it purely around him. You know, there, there are 
issues with recruitment. There have been big issues with the succession plan from Bielsa. There have been big issues with results and form going back 18 months now. You know, it's not as if this has just kicked in this season. It From the end of the 2020-21 season onwards, they've looked like a side in trouble or they've looked like a side in decline or a side who are, are going backwards. Um, so there are going to be questions about Otter and there are going to be questions about the board. There are going to be questions, and I, you know, I this is something that's very much on my mind at the moment, about whether the one thing that has been really consistent at Leeds, which is academy investment and academy recruitment, whether that is neglecting the fact that the senior squad isn't strong enough. And does the Premier League give you the leeway to have a very strong academy core, strong academy ranks, at the same time as having a weak senior side? And I don't think I think it does. And do, do you think they've put the cart before the horse in that regard a bit? I, I, I do wonder about that, yeah. Um, it's something I've been thinking more and more about. When we were chatting about strikers recently, I was saying that uh, you've got kind of two groups at the moment at, at Leeds. At the top, you've got Bamford and you've got Rodrigo. One player, Rodrigo, who you know has never looked like a particularly good fit and is still going through that battle. One in Bamford who has been short of fitness and form and, and um, kind of finishing touch for a long, a long time now. And under that, un- beneath them, you really do have a gap until you get into the 21s. There is nothing in the, the middle ground. And I think that's a, I think it's a mistake. I think it's, it's something that is costing them. Um, and yeah, so questions are going to be asked. But I think the, the point of the question to Marsh today was more a case of, do you still have Alter's support? Do you still have his ear? You know, is he still backing you to which he said, absolutely. And, you know, Marsh's words were that he couldn't have asked for any more really from Alter. I mean, the truth of it under Alter is that three or four managers have not worked out particularly. Yeah. And without Bielsa, nothing worked. Yeah, no, that it, the, in terms of managerial appointments, I mean, obviously this will depend on how it goes with Marsh and, and how it all ends. Um, but at the moment, you're talking one success versus two definite failures and one that feels like it's it's heading that way. And the same with recruitment. I, I, it's important to be nuanced about this and say that not every signing at Leeds has been a bad signing. There have been some really good ones and there have been some some good players that they've they've uncovered. But I think, again, with hindsight, the, the question I was asking in the article was, does everybody, and I include the 49ers in this as well, does everybody wish they could reverse to that summer in 2021 and, and do it again because the recruitment that's been done since then particularly last season Furpo and James coming in James is now gone Furpo cannot find his feet at left back it hasn't done anything for the team I it think really he, can fi- he can find them but they're both left uh, yes it hasn't hasn't done anything for the team has it um, and no. this again not to say that the signings this summer some of them haven't been good there are players I really like um, among the five who came in I think Sinistera particularly seems to be showing a huge amount of potential. But it's incomplete because they need a centre forward and they don't have one and they haven't done anything at, at left back. And I think they've managed to go from this position where they were the envy of some people. You know, a lot of people who hate Leeds were looking at Leeds and saying, I quite like what they've got there, I quite like what's going on. It, and if, well, I think th- there is nuance to that as well because a few people I saw, like, who, when that was tweeted out, because the Athletic put out a clip of that, mm-hmm. didn't they? Like yeah. a little graphic with those words on. And actually, it wasn't about the the envy as such of Leeds United as a club it's, it's about that sense of togetherness that we had that that real purpose and unity very much so. all coalescing around what Bielsa brought yeah very much so and it was real you know it wasn't manufactured and, and it was it was genuine and, and they had that they, they now seem to be living the life of the standard Premier League club which is worrying about are you going to go down you know in this weird league that I hear people complaining about all the time because of what's you know what goes on in it the way it's structured you know because you, 
you have no game for weeks and weeks, six weeks, and then Boxing Day gets moved to a Wednesday night, eight o'clock, and it's City who, who might well come here and win anyway. But you know, you're waiting for your fix, and, and that's what what happens. And then you're told that you should be losing sleep about the fact that you might lose all this and you might go down. And I do understand that because financially it's a problem. It it is, I think, generally better to be competing at the highest level that you can possibly be at, even if it feels completely impossible in this division to really mix it I was with gonna the, say you the can't, biggest sides. You, you can't know. compete, can yeah, you? That's, but that, that's, that's what's demoralising about it. That's the thing. So that's a, a long way of saying that if there are fingers being pointed at the board, then I don't think the board can be surprised about that. No, 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 not at all. Um, to, to Liverpool then, and will this be Jesse Marsh's swan song? You wonder whether... If they are planning to make they, a change, they say not. No, they. Yeah, but they, they would. They would. They have to say that, don't they? That's the point. Is if you are planning to sack him after Liverpool, then you can't ahead of Liverpool say, well, they can't tip you a nod, can they? And say, oh well, we're gonna, well, hang on till after Liverpool. But there is there is a case, isn't there, for if you are going to make a change, make it before Bournemouth to try and get the new manager bounce there. If you're going to do it, this is just talking theoretically. Yeah, no, I understand that. It's felt different though. If you understand what I mean, this week, it's not as if the club have been quiet in talking about changes you know in March today talking about changes to the staff and changing to changes to the the plan for the World Cup break everything else it feels more to me like a club trying to back the manager than a club trying to be seen to back the manager if you know what I mean but there's, there's a cigarette paper between those two concepts I think sure. there is yeah. yeah no I think there is and it it feels like it's on a knife edge now where one particularly bad day might be all it takes um to, to force them into a corner I mean there are circumstances in the past where somebody against Fulham might have done it. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we're a bit all impetuous and a bit impatient in that sense. Perhaps we're all going a bit too soon at this. I just don't, I don't feel it working particularly. And I think the the biggest red light for me is the the mood. Um, well, I mean, among, the thing is, fans. as well, again, <laughs> tying Marsh back into Bielsa and this whole idea of a natural successor they were talking to him for ages before the change was made that's a, become a bit of a rod for, for their own back hasn't it and the bare facts of it are Marsh has underperformed what got Bielsa sacked against worse teams also again to go back to this piece I wrote on Wednesday I was saying in it that I think initially it would probably have been fair to say that part of the resistance to Marsh or part of the reason why people weren't sold on him was because of Bielsa, you know, the Bielsa factor was definitely there and it was not easy to follow him. It was always going to be worse following him in circumstances where Bielsa had been sacked as opposed to a natural succession, as in timing-wise. Bielsa goes at the end of one season, somebody else comes in and it feels like a, a kind of new refit. I mean, if you think back to February, the club didn't really say much at all about Marsh coming in or Bielsa going at, at that stage. It was just you know, it was just letting him letting him loose and giving him this squad to, to get on with. But even if even if it was a challenge to follow Bielsa, which it was always going to be, I don't think you could say now that that's what the issue is. I think more and more people are simply asking whether or not Marsh is the wrong choice, you know, whether he's not the, the kind of, whether as a tactician, he's not particularly what Leeds need. It's not particularly what's going to work for them as a Premier League club. He obviously still thinks he can fight his way out of this. And there are a lot of us who will be proved wrong if he is, you know, if he, if he, does, um, if he does get through this. It'll be us who are looking daft, but it's a it's a perilous position at the moment. And you'd, you'd quite happily look daft under the circumstances. Well, of course you would. Yeah, no, ab- ab- absolutely. <laughs> no, nobody's, and, nobody's willing it to fail. It just does look like it's heading that way. Absolutely, but hey. I think 
there is again though if you're looking further down the line there, there are quite a few strands to this obviously in the, the short term they need to find some results that stop them getting cut adrift and, and keep them going but over the longer term they need to start building up the team again to a level where this isn't just going to be on repeat every season you know even if they stay up this season does it then kick in again next year because the squad isn't right how do they get to that level where they can kind of trust in trust in 11 to 20 players to keep them safe, keep them mid-table, knock on the door of Europe potentially, but to make sure pretty quickly that you're not going to be in the mix for relegation. You know, that's what everybody says at the start of every season. The first priority is to to stay up. And I think before staying up, your first priority is to get some momentum going that reduces the odds of you going down massively. Well, to Liverpool then, as we were saying, and uh, my son is 11. He threw this fact at me, which he we Googled afterwards to try and verify it. Liverpool have never lost the game at Anfield, he tells me, when Virgil van Dijk has been playing. Well, that's good. <laughs> is, is, he so, go, is he going to play? So it's time to break that duck, is what I'm saying. <laughs> we go there on Saturday and we we break that trend. Doesn't it feel like a uh, hundred years ago that Bamford was giving van Dijk a torrid time on yeah. the opening day? Yeah. It was, it was also carefree. That was the yeah. thing, wasn't it? That the, the real true pressure of the Premier League and its nature wasn't really evident at that point. And I think what that first season did under Bielsa was mask us from the truth of all that and I think it also probably masked it from the board as well who I think you could now based on the evidence we've seen accuse them of being a little bit complacent based on that perhaps it made the division look too easy Liverpool having a weird year a very strange year I mean they've, they've reverted now to four four two with Klopp um, and at, at Forest it was Salah and Firmino the um, German Deitche up, up front yeah um, he has he's had more pressure on him this season than in a long, long time, Ebb Klopp. And it's funny, I was listening to somebody on Five Lives saying that goalkeeper talking about um, Alisson and saying people are actually getting to see what type of keeper Alisson is, how good a keeper he is, because he is under more pressure. You know, he is more involved this season. They're giving away far more chances than than they were previously. They're not the same kind of reliable, solid unit um, that they have been for so long, and especially last season when it just looked like they were going to wind up with every single trophy. But they do still have Salah. You know, they do still have Firmino. They have Nunes, who seems to be finding himself um, little by little. Tough old game. But they, they were they were away in Europe um, in midweek. So never seen of a... So they'll be tired. We've been rested. Yeah. Rested, apart from all the injuries. <laughs> I mean, the, the first... I was going to say, the first thing for Leeds is to get to Anfield with, you know, the vast number of players actually available. If they're going there with that sort of absentee list, it's going to make a very difficult game even more tricky. No one particularly asked him about team selection today, did they? But I know the last couple of games it's been a bit drawn out of a hat. Do you think there's a, a chance that there's anything completely out of left field like JB starts or Perkins gets a game or something? Um, I can't see it unless he's unless he's badly down on numbers. I, I think it will be trying to rely on the people that he relies on most. Um, so your Harrisons and your Bamfords and everything else. Again, that feels like the key call, doesn't it? Who starts up front? Um, it's been kind of back and forward between Bamford and, and Rodrigo and I'm now at the point where I really don't know who I would go for you know I'm I'm really not sure um, so he's going to have to magic something up and it's a big ask but we will see and we'll finish on this thought you know Jurgen Klopp was uh, facing a touchline ban potentially for this game wasn't he because of uh, his naughty actions managed to avoid it yes yes he has um, in front of the FA panel funny that yes is that how under what justification yeah probably didn't mean it <laughs> <laughs> Dead sorry in that. (laughs) Well, there you go. Let's uh, come back here on Monday, you and I, Phil, and we will have a chat about what happened at Anfield. And fingers and toes crossed. And what I will say is, you know, Leeds have always got one of these results in them. (laughs) 
Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the gist. The Phil Hay Show.